And Ostwelli lines up as a right wing next to McGlinchey. They're going to boot the quarterback left. Here he goes, deep downfield. Trent Sherfield's got it! Treyerio! So his first throw's incomplete on a drop. The second one's a house call. Hey now, hey now, hey now, welcome to season 11, episode 17 of the Sportscasters podcast. My name is Steve Bennett. Great show today. Our first guest is the original first guest on this show, the very first person to ever be interviewed by myself. That's Jeff Passan from ESPN when he had that very first interview. He was a published author and working for Yahoo. And now he's a huge TV star on ESPN. And we do a good 30 minutes or so. Talking about the trade deadline and the rest of the baseball season. A little bit of a little bit of a break from all the football we've been doing. But we get right back to that later in the show on a debut of Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. And the way that came about was this. I had done an interview with Stuart Mandel, which was a couple of episodes ago. And we had planned to preview the college football season, but we burned all the time on realignment. So I reached out to Stuart and I said, I still want to preview the uh, the season. Who's a good writer at Athletic to do that with? And he recommended Nicole. So we'll finish out the college football preview aspect of this. Uh, today as well. I'm still recording interviews all the time. So basically, uh, Lee Montville and Aaron Schatz on episode 15. So Aaron kind of got the football preview started with uh, his analytics from the Football Outsiders. We did a, a look at that. Michael Fabiano was on episode 16 doing fantasy football. And Stuart Mandel started, started college football. Uh, today, like I said, we have Jeff Passan to talk a little baseball. And then Nicole Auerbach will finish up college football. Still to come in terms of football, and this month we have Vic Carucci. Uh, we'll look at the NFL with him. Nick Underhill will talk Saints football with him. Also, Ross Tucker will join us. We'll talk NFL football with him. Now, the, Rice, the Ross Tucker interview is a whole story uh, that at some point we'll get to. Uh, but that's the plan for today. We're going to update the book club. We'll do one last thing at the end. And the two interviews. Also, don't forget, we had a recent 24-inch podcast, and it's a really good one, on SummerSlam 1988. And our next 24-inch podcast is on SummerSlam 1991. And it's easy to check those out because they're right on the same feed uh, that you get this podcast. So if you're a subscriber, they'll come right up. And if you hate that, I do apologize, but they're easy enough to delete or ignore, especially if you're an Apple person. You kind of don't really even download the episodes anymore the way they have it set up. But All right, with all that said, I think I just want to get right into it today. I don't have a lot to go at at the top. I'm not going to yell about Jack Eichel today. Uh, the Saints had their first preseason game, and I still think that Jameis and Taysom are at a tie. 
uh, which means I think Jameis will be the quarterback because I think for Taysom to get the job, he'll need to over and above outperform uh, Jameis for the Saints to be willing to give up everything else he does. Oh, also, in terms of football preview, Andrew Marchant from the New York Post is going to be on to go over the media aspect, talk about announced teams that have changed, where games are going to be, all the kind of NFL media stuff we'll cover with Andrew Marchand. Nicole Auerbach finishes college football preview today. Nick Underhill on the Saints, Andrew Marchand on the media, and Vic Carucci and Ross Tucker will finish up the NFL uh, preview this month. With all that said, let's do it. Let's jump right in. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with our OG, Jeff Passan. Our first guest today was the first ever guest on the Sportscasters. He's from Cleveland, Ohio, and a graduate of Syracuse University. He was initially working for Yahoo the day of that first interview. But today, of course, he's a TV star and writer about baseball for ESPN. He's our good friend. A warm Sportscasters welcome to Jeff Passan. What's up, Jeff? How are you doing today, man? I am driving through lovely New Hampshire. So if... uh you lose me, then blame uh, blame the cell phone company. Live free or die, right? Isn't that New Hampshire? I I I'd rather live. I'd rather <laughs> uh, I, like living free is great, but I if, if given the binary choice of just live or die, I, I'm probably going to go with live. I guess it depends how unfree you are, though, right? Yeah, that's always just a matter of perspective. <laughs> Uh, I was in New Hampshire one time. My brother played his last ever college hockey game there against BU and Jack Eichel in, uh, I wonder what city that was. Manchester, maybe? Is that is that the city there? Sure. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah, it's the city here. It's the only time I've ever been there was that those couple days. They lost 3-2 in overtime, and my brother had a six-hour uh, six uh, urine test because it was diluted, and they couldn't get, get the sample he wanted. So you had to stay like in a- all right. That I was, I was, I was about to give you grief for telling a completely terrible story until you said six hour yeah. urine test. Yep, he was in a, in a like literally a closet in the bowels of the arena in his underwear, his Under Armour, you know, like his <laughs> Under Armour that was under his gear during the game, drinking water and eating yep. pretzels, trying to get a non diluted urine sample. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, honestly, if you drink water, doesn't that just dilute your sample even more? I, I don't know. The trainer was there. They were doing all these strategies, you know, like uh, try to eat this pretzel with salt on it, you know, do this, do that. I don't know. I don't know. You know, details are sketchy because he was locked in a closet. So we're not really sure what he did for those six hours. Um, yeah, I don't even, I don't want to know. Yeah. They literally pulled him out of the locker room. After, the NCAA is how awesome they are. His last ever college hockey game. You know, he's in his in his stall looking back at the 20-plus years of his hockey career, you know, and they're like, hey, can we get a urine sample right now? Like, just take your skates off and just come here. And then, and then he takes it and they're like, no, that's not going to work. The bus left without him. He had to drive back to school with, like, the associate AD or something who had to wait for him. It's wild. Oh. Wild. Oh. Yeah, I remember we're, we're standing in the hallway of the arena and, like, every player is coming up. You know, 
And it's like, oh, there's that senior crying with his family, having a hug, having a moment. Like, man, where is Anthony? Where is he? Where is he? Oh, he's never coming up. <laughs> so, <laughs> good old New Hampshire. That's my that's my memories. Um, speaking of memories, transition out of that. I remember the day that Fred McGriff got traded to the Braves, um, and the the uh, the building went on fire. The Fulton County Stadium set on fire during like batting practice, and then McGriff hit a big home run, and it was this awesome. 103 win pennant race in 1993 with the Giants. And it was the last time I was yep. really fired up about like a trade deadline in baseball. I'm sure there's been a couple good ones since then, but just one that really sticks out in my mind as awesome. Uh, but wow, was it awesome this year? Like what a, what a day that was. And coincidentally right now, I'm wearing a shirt with Fred McGriff on it. Gotta love the crime dog. It's my, my, uh, Jamie Mottram runs a t-shirt company called Breaking Tea, and okay. he's got a Fred McGriff Tom Amansky shirt. And hold on. Thankfully, right now there's traffic on the highway in New Hampshire, so I can look at what it says. It says, Crime Dog Baseball Gets Results. And it's him pointing like he does in, in the his Tom Amansky commercial. Right, his instructional videos he used to be in. That's awesome. That's, that's, uh, yeah, it's a rad shirt. That's, um, that's great. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the trade deadline was probably awesome for you. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Not the guy working yeah. the cell phones, right, for probably 36 straight hours or whatever. Did you expect no, that? No, it was like... It, it was like 120 straight hours. 120, I mean, it was fair. Like, it was a lot. I, yeah, I thought there was going to be a lot of action. Two things happened that made this trade deadline what it was. The first thing was the Chicago Cubs, Cubs losing yeah. 11 consecutive games. And the second was the Washington Nationals getting swept by the Baltimore Orioles. Those two things led to the majority of the big trades. You know, Joey Gallo moves from Texas, Kyle Gibson moves from Texas, Jose Barrios moves from Minnesota. But the you know, the lion's share of the the big name guys who moved were from both the Cubs and the Nationals. And you saw the the four big players move from the Cubs in Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez and Craig Kimbrell. And then the Nationals, you know, over a twenty four hour period just doing a complete giant sell off. Uh, you know, with, with Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, with Daniel Hudson, with Kyle Schwarber. I mean, we can go on and on about mm-hmm. the guys who uh, who left there. Uh, it was a lot. And, and it was, you know, looking back now, uh, if a baseball fan says that was fun, I totally buy it. It was. Uh, it was. It was, you know, it was a cool thing to see as much interest as there was in baseball. And it's like, there've been a few things lately that uh, I think have, have sparked uh, that, that little flame yeah. maybe among casual fans. And I've had this conversation with a couple people right now. I don't know if this is me being too inside of things uh, or, or me not being a particularly neutral arbiter, but it feels like baseball's kind of having a moment right now. Totally. I don't know if that's a real thing, mm-hmm. um, but but it's 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 one of those things that I have not felt in the past. Um, and 
Maybe it's because of Otani. Maybe it's because of Tatis. Maybe it's because the American League East uh, and National League East and National League West are all compelling races for different reasons right now. Interesting but, teams. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I just think that baseball has an opportunity right now um, because I think it's probably more the players than the teams, but there's just a very interesting and compelling group of players in the game right now, even with Ronald Acuna down for the year, even with Mike Trout, you know, Devastating, yeah. come back from a cap. Um, there's still a lot going for the sport at this point. It's got its warts. There's no question about it. Um, but I think that uh, the, the cool things right now in the game are worth enjoying and worth appreciating. Yeah, a couple of things. Juan Soto is like the um, Will Smith meme where he's standing in the Fresh Prince's house and, and he's the only one in there. He's just looking around. All the fr- <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and uh, yep. and um, last night, I believe the metered rating, you know, so when they initially just get the big markets and you get the initial number, I think it's going to be the highest regular season baseball game since 2005. So that was a huge hit last night. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, I think a big part of that is that it was the perfect baseball event. It just plays on nostalgia. And I think casual, you know, the, the reason that baseball, I think has fallen off among casual fans and, and the ratings subsequently have gone with it is that, it's, it has not acted like a national sport. Um, the, you know, the parochial element of baseball, baseball on a local level, I think, is and has been strong. Um, I, know, I know even pre-pandemic attendance had gone down, but you still had upward of 70 million people uh, going to a baseball game every year. And, and some of that certainly is a function of the number of games that are played. But the reality is... Like, that's still a lot of fans going and watching baseball. Local television ratings, you know, depending on the market, tend to be pretty good, actually. It's just that national pull and national appeal beyond your team has not been there. And that's where I think someone like Otani, someone like Tatis, or something like the Field of Dreams game has the ability to to draw large numbers and large quantities of people uh, not in a, a similar way to the NFL, because honestly, well, yeah, like, they're, 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 they're an a, albatross. A, yeah, they're, yeah, they're 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 a they're a, they're a beast of their own. Yep. And, and comparing anyone to the NFL Silly. at this point, any Silly. sport, yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, it's, it's the right word. But uh, for for baseball to do a game like that, as gimmicky as it was, it, it's a gimmick that works for baseball because of the people who have watched it historically it plays right into their wheelhouse yeah and then they get the movie story game you know you're doing the movie story nostalgia yep. and you get the you get the i mean the, the the ninth inning that oh hollywood won't even write that it get rejected right that's what they got so it played out perfect for them uh, you know what something I, before we get too far away from the trade line i wanted to mention that made it really cool is it seems like just about every team tried to do something. You know, there's only one Chris Bryant, you know, only one Rizzo, but it, like every team that's in the mix, they grabbed something. Maybe Boston, 
be the one team that – but even they made a trade or two, right? It seemed like everyone was getting their guy or their guy or two, doing the best they could. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, Boston went out and got Schwarber. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is a – I think that's a fair way to look at it. Every single contender, and I'm just going to go here division by division – uh, Yankees getting Gallo and Rizzo, Boston getting Schwarber, Rays getting Nelson Cruz, Blue Jays getting Barrios and Hand, White Sox getting Kimbrel, uh, Astros getting a, a three-pack of relievers, A's getting Starling Marte and Andrew Chapin, Mets getting Baez, Phillies getting Kyle Gibson uh, and Ian Kennedy. Uh, Braves going out and sort of doing a grab bag. No big names. Right, but, but a few know, guys here and there. Yep. Solaire and Richard Rodriguez, you know, not bad. Um, and Solaire's been good. Brewers, uh, yeah, I mean, Brewers going out. Uh, they got, you know, Willie Adamas was their big one who they got early. They got Rowdy Tellez as well uh, and making a couple moves around the deadline. Giants getting Bryant. Dodgers getting Scherzer and Turner. Padres getting Adam Frazier and Daniel Hudson. I mean, those are your playoff contenders right there. And every one of them went out and got someone. Yep. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's what a healthy deadline looks like. It looks like every single team with a chance going out and trying to do something. Some of the moves are bigger than others. Some are more effective than others. Um, you know, the, the only team I think that went out and just made moves to make moves it was like the Cardinals getting John Lester and Jay Happ. Um, but the contenders made themselves better, and that's all you can ask for. Absolutely. You know, it's not an even year, so I'm a little thrown off. But I'm really thrown off because I had no idea that the San Francisco Giants had a team that could be 74-41 and 41 with a plus-143 yep. run differential. I mean – did I miss it? Did we all miss it? Like, did you think they could be this good? Where did this come no, from? No, I didn't think yeah. they were going to be. What happened? What I went right? I didn't think they were going to be this good. Well, I, uh, let's put it this way. The Giants, ever since Farhan Zaidi got there, have been sort of outplaying their talent level. And uh, I think this year they're, they're just doing it to an even greater level than they have in the past. I, I'm not sure that I'm going to bet on this Giants uh, in the postseason this year, I still don't think they're the best team in their division. And I know Giants fans get angry every time I say that because they've been better than the Dodgers for 120 games this season. So who's to say that the Dodgers suddenly are going to turn into a better baseball team than them? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, uh, they're just very good on the margins and with depth. They're, they're a 26-man roster is top to bottom very strong. They have a sneaky good bullpen. Uh, they hit a lot of home runs. They don't give up many. Um, they, you know, they, they plug and play well when it comes to matchups and platoon splits. They have a good right-handed lineup and a good left-handed lineup. Uh, more than that, though, they're getting contributions from guys who, frankly, myself included, thought were too old to be contributing like they have. Buster Posey, you know, hitting over 330. Brandon Crawford uh, has has been fantastic to the point where, you know, warranted a contract extension. Brandon Belt, uh, when he's been healthy, has been really good and productive. And even, you know, before he got hurt, Evan Longoria, a guy whose contract looked like some really long time. So when, when you get 
contributions from your old guys, you know, in a game where uh, 30 is considered like, uh, let's let's send him away to the old folks' home. The, the Giants' best players this year have all been 30-plus. Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. I like the Giants. They're like a team I just kind of like for whatever reason, maybe because they were Chris Russo's team. You know, and I, <laughs> I was a big, you know. Mike, that's why. That's why you like them. I'm a big Mike and the Mad Dog fan. I, you know, I watched every day on Yes. You know, finally got to start listening to it in my car, and then they broke up. But um, you know, like I just love listening to his rants about the Giants. And look at, I love my team so much. You know, I love the Saints so much that when someone else's team does what my team did at Super Bowl 44, I have a soft spot to that. You know. I don't know. And I love Barry Zito, uh, who's one of my favorite uh, players of all time. So um, I was especially excited in 2012 right. when he was such a big part of the championship team. Um, speaking of my team, although I love baseball more than any team, but, you know, I grew up loving the Braves because I could watch them every day in Buffalo. And um, right. I know this is a lost year. I mean, with, you know, the never never healing Achilles of Soroka and the tragedy of Acuna getting hurt being Acuna. You know, which, you know, just made me have this awful thought of like, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't have Ken Griffey Jr.'s career where like just being awesome is what causes you to be hurt, you know. Um, right. But uh, there is a they blew the Will Smith blew another save the other night. And one of the Atlanta reporters wrote, you know, uh, they it's time for the manager to really think about splitting the closing roles. I'm like, yeah, Will Smith can close for the triple A team and anyone else can, you know, can. Uh-huh. Can close to the major league team. Let's put it that way. I know it's a lost season, but they've played better than fifty nine and fifty six. But it seems like whenever they're about to turn the turn the corner, they're up four to one in the ninth inning and they lose to the Nationals. You know, it's just all yeah. season I, long. I, I mean, yeah, I, they're they're a flawed team though. Like their bullpen's terrible. Yeah, and, that's the flaw. Yep. You know, and their yeah their rotation's been hurt. They also yep. haven't had. You know, they haven't had Acuna for the last month. They haven't had Marcelo Zuna for much longer than that. He was expecting yep. a big contributor. Spent Travis big Darno money. Mm-hmm. Was, Darno was out for a couple of months. Uh, you know, Ian Anderson's been hurt. So yeah, Roca, curse like season. Said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what they thought they were going to have, they didn't have. And yet, here we are, you know, six or so weeks before the end of the season, and they were in first place. And, you know, as bad as their season's been, as disappointing as it's been, they have the salve that is the National League East. Yep. And the National, League, the National League East stinks. It has stunk all year. It's going to continue to stink. And, and the only things that are standing in the way of the Braves winning that division, I think, are the easy schedule that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to play. And the fact that the Mets might get Jacob DeGrom back. Yeah, that's a nice addition. <laughs> Anytime you can throw him back into the mix. Um, yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I just wanted to complain about Will Smith for a second. I, I think that they're doing the best they can. You know what I mean? Everything you just listed, it's been, you know, since day one, it's just been this way, you know, from the start yeah. with, with Soro. Like, right away, it's spring training. Like, oh, they're going to. You know, add Soroka to to Freed and Kennedy, and or to you know to the two rookies is gonna be great, great rotation, whatever. And then it's like, oh, he just can't heal from this Achilles, and then he's walking in the parking lot, it blows up again. So I don't know. 
it's been that kind of I know. been it's, that kind of a year. It's such a bummer. You, you, you know what though? Like Freed's regressed a little this year, but you see, you know, he's going to be fine. Charlie Morton's been good. Anderson, when he pitches, is really good. Kyle Muller's been a phenomenal surprise, mm-hmm. and, and a guy who I think is going to be helpful too, Waskar and Noah. Uh, he, you know, he's been out for a while now, and getting him back—that's a dirty rotation right there, even without a, you know Soroka. So I, I think the, you know, Marcus Spears, my colleague at ESPN, has been looking for a baseball team to root for, and he grew up rooting for Atlanta, and. I, I think he might actually settle back in on being a fan of that team because there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot of excitement about not just the present. This is a down year, but the, the future for that team still looks really, really good, and it's going to continue to when you have two players of the caliber of Acuna and Ozzy Albies under contract. Albies is a real nice contract. Yeah. yeah, Albies is especially amazing. The last thing I'll say about him is just it just goes to show you why when you got a team three to one in the NLCS, you gotta cash it. You know what I mean? You you can't not finish it and say, Well, yeah. we're we're young. Because you just never know. You know what I mean? When you're that close. Ah, frustrating. Anyway, Milwaukee's another team that surprised me. Um, I didn't think they would be this good. Um the White Sox, I'm not surprised. I thought they'd be this good. The A's, I guess, are the other team. Um, I don't know that they, but they're just the A's, right? They just do what they do. What about at this point of the season, yeah. the teams you're most surprised with, either good or bad? Um, I was on Milwaukee. I picked them to win the Central, so I feel good about that. Uh, I was on the A's. I think I picked them to either win the West. I think I picked them to win the West. So that doesn't surprise me very much. Um, I think the Tigers, I know they're not going to make the playoffs this year, but A.J. Hinch is doing a really good job there. Yeah. And they're exciting. So I, I know. Yeah, I know for, I, listen, for the remainder of his career, he's going to be tied to the 2017 Astros, and nothing you can do to, you know, to erase that, but go to a new place and win and try and make it a, you know, if, if not the primary story, then a primary story along with what else you've done. And Tigers have good young pitching. Spencer Torkelson's coming. He's going to be a dude. Riley Green's coming. He's going to be a dude. Um, and they did, they play good fundamental baseball and uh, to see them, you know, flirting with 500 in a year where I think a lot of people, myself included, thought they were going to be a team that was closer to 100 losses than 80 wins. Is uh, it, It's been a, a pleasant surprise. Um, teams that weren't as good as I thought they were going to be. I mean, the Yankees, they, they've picked things up a little bit. I had them going to the World Series before the season uh, started. Right. They, they've they been better. They look like a playoff team. Yeah, they did not look like a playoff team before the, the Rizzo and Gallo trade. Uh, but they've gotten a little healthier and are, are starting to play decent baseball. They're, they're just in a really difficult division. I mean, the Red Sox definitely over the first three months of the season were much better mm. than I thought they were going to be the last, you know, five or six weeks. They're fading. I think they've been much, yeah, much worse than I thought they were going to be. And they're getting Chris Sale back on Saturday. And uh, I don't want to put all the pressure in the world on a guy who's, 
pitching for the first time in, you know, two years coming back from Tommy John surgery. But uh, if the Red Sox want to make the playoffs, I think they need Chris Sale, if not to be Chris Sale of old, to be a pretty damn good facsimile of it. Yeah, wow, nice. The Mets, maybe DeGrom and the the Red Sox. Maybe sometimes the best trades are your own players coming back from injury. Uh, we talked about the the momentum the league has, um, how it's been a great season. I was thinking, though, Astros-Dodgers World Series just feels like a momentum killer to me for some reason. I just feel like... It would be, that, would be a, that would be a momentum killer? <laughs> yeah, does anyone want to see the Dodgers and the Astros in the World Series? Like, uh, Well, again, I we're talking from a national... I would love... Really? I would love to see the Dodgers and Astros. Oh, yes! my God. I'm incredibly I mean, sick of both of those teams. I mean, the Astros uh, are incredibly unlikable, I, and the Dodgers have been in, like, the last eight World Series. I, but does that make for a bad series, necessarily? Like, what's your what's your platonic ideal World Series? Well, the ideal World Series is anyone that goes seven games and everyone is close, and the winning. You know, like the Braves, right, right, Braves and saying, Twins, but, 91. No, no, no. I understand. Yeah. Right. No, I understand that. But I'm saying if you could pick two teams oh. for a compelling World Series matchup this year, which teams would you want? Okay. Well, I guess I might say something that I've never seen before, like, or in a long time, maybe like Oakland versus Milwaukee or something, you know? I don't know. So you think you so you think an Oakland? No, I think that would be a, no, series? no. But you asked me for what I would want. No, I don't think that would be ideal for that. I know, but no, but you, but but your premise in the first place was that people would be sick and tired of Dodgers and Astros. Right. I don't know. I kind of think the opposite. It, it would be it would be a very interesting twist on your normal um, World Series narrative, which instead of oh god, the Dodgers are in it for four straight years now and this is getting boring it's hey the dodgers get a chance to get revenge i love revenge world series like yeah. when that exists you do have a, a clear this, heel and a clear face yeah that's a clear heel versus face world right. series it, i guess yeah you're right, right there which is which is weird because how many other teams would the dodgers face and none be the face none like yeah none. I, I was gonna say <laughs> none the dodgers maybe the yankees the would just be right May yeah maybe, maybe maybe you know it would just be such a subversion of expectations though it'd be kind of cool yeah I guess I just when I look at the National League playoff teams I would rather see San Diego in the World Series I'd rather see San Francisco in the World Series I'd rather see Milwaukee I'd probably rather see the Phillies and the Mets but I don't know I know I know I I guess I was just thinking in my head like. No one likes the Astros, and everyone's sick of the Dodgers. But maybe you're right. You convinced me, I guess. Maybe that would be awesome. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for the best World Series possible. The best World Series possible to me is one that includes the best teams. And the best team to me is the Dodgers. And I would love to see uh, Max Scherzer and Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw pitching. And, you know, Mookie Betts, if he's healthy, and Trey Turner and Corey Seager, and Cody Bellinger, and Justin Turner. And the good and Will Smith. Chris Taylor, and Will Smith. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, this Dodgers lineup is obscenely good. I, I like the idea of watching them in October. That appeals to me. Yeah, okay. You swayed me a bit. What's your? Do you have a favorite World Series in the last 
30 years, one, two, three that stick out as your favorites? That's a I random question, I know. Was pretty, 16. Nah, 16 yeah. was pretty. Yeah, 16's pretty rad. Yep. Like, it wasn't just the Cubs going and winning, it was the Cubs winning in extra innings in game seven on the road. Right. And Eddie Vedder behind home plate in every game was a special treat, too. You know, it's not every 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 World Series you get to watch Eddie Vedder keep score on uh, the entire game for the whole World Series. So, well, like that, um, as, as as somebody who appreciates Pearl Jam and and what they do, but it is not a not a World Eddie Series Vedder bonus. Fanboy, so to speak. Yeah. Well, no. Here's here's my question: Did it really excite you watching a grown man keep score? <laughs> well, it excited me in this way, right? You you turn on the game, and you're just watching the baseball game. And then just out of the corner of your eye, you're like, oh, my God, there's Eddie Vedder. That was cool. That's all. Correct. Yeah. Which, which is, oh, my God, it's Eddie Vedder again. And, <laughs> and, and you've said, you, you said that to yourself a few times. And then, and then what's, what's the follow-up to that? Is it just, oh, my God, it's Eddie Vedder, and then it just stops well, and no, that feeling the, goes away? The follow-up was we got the unbelievable Craig Gass video um, in Cleveland. I'm sure you've seen it. Where you get to see like Eddie Vedder and Theo hugging after the last out, and Bill Murray watching it happen, and um, you know uh, who else is in that video? It's the guy from the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Chris Chelios. I mean, that was the payoff, I guess. You get that cool video of Bill, uh, Bill, Mur- Bill Murray. Bill Murray was hammered. Yes, that he was. Night. Yes, he um, was. <laughs> I was. Yeah, Bill Murray. Bill Murray like bumped into me in the clubhouse. I was. I, I like all the reporters got booted out of the clubhouse and I just kind of hid and and stayed for probably two hours afterward, just like taking in the scenes, the sights, the sounds. I remember writing that story. I filed that story like 945 from I think it was the Akron airport. I think I was I think I had to go like. Through, uh, there were no flights out of Cleveland to Kansas City, so I think I, I had to go through Akron. And I remember writing the story, staying up all night, and finally filing it from the Akron airport. Wow. I'm surprised they didn't have you on the phone that in the Akron airport that day. Um, uh, yeah, you, I'm sure you tried. <laughs> uh, the sports guests are finishing up with uh, our man Jeff Passan, uh, who is uh, – is now forever immortalized in the uh, Sports Illustrated article as the guy who said it's like coming on to Wayne's World, which is my one of my favorite comparisons ever. <laughs> I, I was glad by that. By the way, by the way, I have. Hey, I've. Uh, yeah. I, I've I've got a I've got a go at actually. Got to give my yeah. mom a call. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's been, yeah. It's been, it's been awesome talking <laughs> with you, Steve. And, yeah. Uh, I, I I appreciate uh, your your love of Eddie Vedder keeping score. Yeah, it was a it was a precious moment for for Mr. Vedder. I, I was glad to be able to share it with him. All right, very very last thing. I'll let you get out of here on this, and you can make it thirty seconds, ten seconds if you want. Give me your World Series prediction and your MVP for each league. Go. Uh, Dodgers, White Sox. Okay. Um, American League, Shohei Otani. National League, Fernando Tatis Jr. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Steve. I'll tell my mom you said hi.
Oh, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. Way up firm and high. Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy. Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy. Working on mysteries without any clues. I want to thank Jeff Passon. For being on the podcast tonight all right real quick book club update because not much has changed since last time we updated this thing the first book i want to mention is the baseball 100 by joe Piznanski. it's out on september 28th 2021 it is a massive massive book uh that joe has written um it's 100 baseball players one essay on each uh, the players mentioned range from Ken Griffey Jr. to Frank Robinson to Robin Yount and Gaylord Perry, Gary Carter, just some of the many players who have essays about their careers written by the great Joe Piznanski in the Baseball 100. Can't wait to talk to Joe about it. And again, it comes out on September 28th, 2021. Speaking of release dates, uh, last week was the official release of Across the River. Uh, Life, Death, and Football in an American City by Kent Babb. Haven't really heard from Kent. I hope he's still interested in doing this. I did get a digital copy of the book. Never got a hardcover, which means I haven't read it. Um, I have trouble reading the PDFs that they send because they're just not as functional as the ebook, uh, the EPUBs that you normally get when you buy an ebook. These PDFs are really clunky. Um, I took a look at it, but I haven't gotten into the meat of it. I hear it's good, and I'd love to read it. I'll reach out to Kent again, but it is available for purchase uh, if you like. And then the other one is Tim Neverett's uh, Dodgers book, uh, which will be out soon. Kirk Herbstreet had a book come out, and I took a run at it and thought, wow, it would be great to have Kirk on. And, um, you know, I, I emailed the publisher and I let him know that I had a relationship with ESPN. I reached out to ESPN. Everyone seemed high on it and it just never got anywhere. So that's not going to happen. One other book club note I think I want to mention is that Jeff Perlman's Three Ring Circus um, is available or will be available very soon uh, on paperback. I seen that Jeff on his Twitter did an unboxing uh, when his copy of it came. So that means if it isn't released, it's imminent. Uh, but that's where we stand right now, Across the River by Kent by Kent Babb, uh, the hundred, the Baseball 100 by Joe Piznanski, and the Tim Neverett Dodgers book, um, which is later in the month as well. So we'll see how all that turns out. Uh, and then we have some new books already lined up for the fall. So, all right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with the debut of Nicole Auerbach. Our next guest today is a graduate of Michigan, and she writes about college football for The Athletic, and she's making her debut on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Nicole Auerbach. Hey, Nicole, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you. 
looking forward to uh, to college football season. Uh, I was reading your column uh, earlier today about how the uh, Saturday wedding dilemma is back in full force this year, and it kind of it's got me pumped up for the games a little bit. You know, it got me thinking about. <laughs> Fans in the stands and fans in the parking lot and college football the way college football is meant to be, you know? Yeah, I think the idea of having to decide between attending weddings in person and, <laughs> you know, attending or watching football feels very normal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a step back to normalcy for sure. Uh, let me ask you this to kind of get us started. And I like to ask this question in kind of the preview interviews for whatever sport. But as someone who watches this from the eye of a of you know a reporter someone who's going to write or talk on a podcast or whatever about it what are some things in your notebook that you're interested to see play out in the off season something that you know maybe so far has just been in theory but now we're going to see it play out in practice like are there some things you're looking forward yeah. to seeing yeah go ahead yeah i mean i i think like obviously there's a lot of you know on field things that you know we're interested to see like Spencer Rattler Sure. Um, you know, taking a step and, and another year in that in that offense. But like for me personally, I've been so, you know, reporting, spent so much time and energy on name, image and likeness reform that I'm really curious to see what it's going to look like in season where like what if someone comes out of the blue to become a Heisman front runner or Sarah Fuller has, you know, kicks in a game in season, like all of a sudden the the opportunity like what pops up do they say yes to it how much money is at stake like you know when we usually we see people's you know follower accounts well we see all that stuff when there's those viral moments or a crazy catch like Michael Panic Jr. stretches out like that 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 stretch was on t-shirts but like this year he could get a cut from that like what does that look like so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see that because it's kind of one of the few NIL angles that we haven't figured out yet as it's gotten underway. Right. It's like, well, what happens when someone pops during the season? What does that look like? Yeah, and those things will happen, right? It's almost like a, a when, not an if. You know, someone is right. going to emerge, a, you know, a play is going to happen, a, you know, a fuller situation, whatever. All those things happen every year. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when they do happen this year, uh, how that affects NIL. How do you think it's gone so far? Like, you think overall it's been a plus positive for players? Is there anything that worries you? Anything you're surprised? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think think it's been a net positive. Um, You know, I've been a proponent of the idea that, you know, everyone else on these college campuses can profit off of their names, images, and likenesses. And, you know, we – there is this one population that wasn't able to. Like, I think about, you know, making a couple hundred bucks from the student newspaper at Michigan – while I was there, like no one, no one told me I couldn't do that because of you know the purity of the, the college newspaper, writing for the college newspaper. I freelanced for other outlets, got paid. Like it, 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 it was so normal for everyone else um, except for this one group of people on campus. So I think it's long overdue, and and I think it's great. I also think that people probably were, were fear mongering too much heading into it because. People are saying all this stuff like, oh, they don't know how to do taxes. Well, like, I didn't either. And you know what? Like, my dad helped me. And then I figured it out on TurboTax. Like, they'll figure that out. Right. Um, you know, some of the deals may not be, you know, the right amount. Maybe they're going to get lowball. Maybe they're going to pay too much. Like, that stuff will work itself out. That's any market. And I, I also think, you know, stuff like locker room dynamic. Like, we'll see how that goes. But I, I think people are just uncomfortable with the idea of, of 
them getting payment at all and, and still playing college football. But over the last five, 10 years, as, as salaries have ballooned and facilities have basically been rebuilt year in and year out, you know, it, it, the balance was just nowhere near right. And so I think it's been good. I think even those offensive linemen who are getting maybe one free meal a week because, you know, the local restaurant sponsoring the O-line or somebody got $100 to post about a T-shirt, and it's not that much money, let's say, but I, I still think that it's, it's good. I mean, that's what I thought this was going to look like. It wasn't all going to be, you know, $50,000 deals. And, you know, any any amount that guys can put in their pocket, I think is good. And, you know, the sport is still spinning. It's still going to have a season. People are still going to care. Um, and, you know, there's just a little more going on off the field. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out on the campus of the University of Michigan, specifically with the hockey team. You know, if Owen Power decides as an already number one pick in the league's draft to, you know, come back to the university and play, you know, maybe that's part of his decision. Maybe he thinks, you know, hey, I don't have to go back to Michigan for no money. I can go back to Michigan and maybe sign this $50,000 deal here, this deal here, and still get – because it sounds like he really wants to have that one year, you know, with fans in the stands. And they obviously, the very last minute, lost their chance to play for the championship in the tournament because of COVID. So I think it's interesting there too, not just football, but you know, Michigan could have like three of the top 15 picks in the NHL draft already happened back on their campus. So that's interesting too, I think. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a big deal for, for basketball too, especially when you talk about one on one and done, right, one and done, like yep. those, those, those fringe guys, like maybe they come back, um, you know, where they'll have that opportunity to make some money, but also can improve the draft position. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. that I think that's a perfect primer for off the field. Let's jump into on the field a little bit. And, you know, I was looking at the coaches poll. I had um, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders on. I uh, had Stuart Mandel on. And I don't know if this is a problem per se, but, man, it seems like, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, whether we're talking about Aaron Schatz computers, you know, or we're talking about the great work that Stewart does to come to his conclusions uh, or the coaches, seems like everyone's locked in on those four teams with maybe Georgia, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, maybe even like Iowa State as a deeper horse in the next four. But what do you think about these four programs who's pretty much been synonymous with the college football playoff? Um, being the four names thrown around the most already again this year, does this make you anxious for expansion? Does this make you um, feel like, oh, this is the way it should be? These are the four programs. Let's do the regular season and get get to the business of these four teams. Or what do you think about this? The way it's you know, once again, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State. Yeah, I, I get why we always consider them this way. I mean, it's clearly shown during the playoff era that it's not wise to bet against Nick Saban or, or Dabo Swinney or, or any of those programs because it's just, there's such a clear upper echelon. I mean, you could even make the argument that the Oklahoma's not in that top uppermost echelon because they haven't won a game in the playoff, right? So there's just such a clear separation and those programs are recruiting at such a high level that there's no drop off. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we saw the flash in the pan that it was LSU. And then we saw how fast that can, that can go away when you don't have, you know, that collection of talent and everything 
clicking and the chemistry the way that it was that one run, um, you can see how, fall, how far it falls off. So, you know, I think Georgia belongs in that conversation, the way they recruit the talent, um, you know, the quarterback that they have healthy now in JT Daniels um, and the way that he played the back half of last season. Like there's lots of reasons to be optimistic. But I was having this conversation with my coworker, Ari Wasserman, about why he felt Alabama was actually overrated, not to say that they won't end up, you know, at, at sure. a number one or that they won't, they might not be the best team in the country, but they really did lose a lot. And they lost like the best Alabama offense we've seen, one of the best offenses we've ever seen. And we just put them in that spot to start the season just because and it's I, I again I think Nick Saban and that program have gotten the benefit of the doubt for us but it does feel like we do that with all the playoff teams nowadays even when there are weaknesses or you know position groups that we are uncertain about because we just assume that they're going to end up there at the end so I, I I agree that that sort of causes us to essentially overrate teams in the beginning but I just don't know who else you would necessarily argue to put ahead of them even if you're uncertain, okay, well, what exactly, you know, is Alabama's offense going to look like? How long is it going to take to mesh this year? Um, you basically lost the best player in the country at every skill possession. Like, I, I don't know. But I, I also understand why people vote that way. Yeah. It, it, I feel like we almost, instead of comparing Alabama to the country, we now compare Alabama to other Alabama teams. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost, the verbiage is like, well, this isn't going to be as good as the 2019 Alabama, but I think it's better than the 2017. Al you know, it feels like it's kind of that way where it's like, well, you know, we'll just compare Alabama to Alabama because there's nothing else. Any other comparison silly, you know. I, I remember, right. And, yeah. and that's kind of how we, we talk about Clemson, too. Yep. I mean. And, and I get that we do. We're like, OK, is this the best Clemson team since the last national championship? Mm -hmm. yep. Like, I. You know, we just the, the level of expectation, but they don't give us a reason to, to write them off because there's just still such a clear gap behind those teams and everybody else. Like we see that when we see Notre Dame make the playoff, right? Where like, yeah, they've had a great season. Yeah, there's still a major talent gap, right? When you when they take the field in those games, so it's just like I get why we default to putting those teams in that upper echelon. Yeah, and Oklahoma hasn't broken through yet. Man, they should have won that Georgia game. Though they're going to be kicking them. Baker Mayfield and everyone else on that team be kicking themselves forever that they didn't close that out. But um, you know, in the uh, as the career of Lincoln Riley has progressed, they're getting their pick of the five star QB they want every year now. You know what I mean? And as he establishes himself there, he's I mean he's bringing him in early before graduation. You know, it's just like wow. You know. Like, even Oklahoma, I think, although they haven't broke in yet, and as they maybe transition to the SEC sooner than later, I think they're almost building up to that point, too, in the Lincoln-Riley era. I don't know what you think about Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested. That's one of the teams I'm most excited to see. Um, you know, Spencer Rattler, kind of by default, because, again, so many – there's so many great players. Like, I, I don't watch a ton of NFL anymore, but, like, I'm super excited to see Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and all these guys that we felt like we really – got to know and saw them grow. And so now, you know, by default, like you've got Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell, the faces of this sport, Derek King. And, you know, there was just so much pressure put on Spencer Rattler last year because of the quarterbacks he followed who were able to put up record setting numbers in year one in Lincoln Riley's offense, where like they were coming in with more experience or they were yep. coming in 
um, you know, with just a, a firmer grasp of the roster. It wasn't a COVID year. So I'm excited to see Spencer Rattler, you know, in, in that system now because I, I just think we put such unfair expectations on him. And, you know, obviously we saw him struggle in Kennedy fourth quarter and decision-making. Yep. Yeah, yep. Kennedy Brooks is back. That was, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons to be really optimistic about them. Um, but I, I just think like it was, it was, we, we just have such, we put a lot of pressure on him last year. And um, I just think he's going to, he's going to take over. And, and I, I, again, I'm going to pencil Oklahoma into the playoff because, you know, they're more often than not, they're, they're in there. Is your, let's, let's do this real quick. Is your penciled in for, is that what it is? Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State? Or do you have someone else penciled in right now? Okay, well, actually, so I haven't physically penciled them in yet. So okay. this is actually going to be a good question. Because I want to talk myself into Oregon. Okay, um, I like I, that. I would like, I would like the Pac-12 to get back in the mix here. All right. Um, so I haven't decided who I'm going to write off yet. I also... I'm going to be very tempted to pick Georgia over Alabama, but then every single time I try not to pick Alabama, they go and win the national championship. So uh, I'm still still a little bit TBD. So I'm going to cheat and not answer your question there. Fair enough. Well, let's let's use USA Today and Stewart and Aaron Schatz, who've all given me Alabama, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Let's just use them as a four for argument's sake. Two questions for you: If one's going to drop out, who is it? And you've already kind of mentioned Georgia and Oregon. Give me a couple other teams that if one or two of them drop out, you think have the best chance of creeping in. Well, I, I think I, I'm, I'm still waiting for someone to to emerge in, in the Big Ten. Obviously, we've been waiting to see if it's going to be Michigan, if they can actually finally beat Ohio State. But Penn State's really in that same boat, too. And you think about the talent that they have um, – you know, and, and again, like we've seen good Sean Clifford. We've seen what they can do. Um, obviously, they got off to a terrible start last year. But by the second half of the season, they did get things rolling. So you've always got to think that if someone's going to come out of the Big Ten, they're going to come out of the East, somehow beat Ohio State. Um, so those are teams I'm keeping an eye on. I mean, North Carolina is, is definitely a, a little bit of a media darling for a reason. I think we saw the numbers. We saw how fun that offense was. Um, and I think people really do buy into and believe in Mac Brown. I mean, he's sure. an incredible communicator. Um, we're seeing that in recruiting. We're seeing that in the way that he built his staff. Um, you know, Jay Bateman, his defensive coordinator, did incredible work at Army. And so I, I think there's there's reason that people are optimistic that that can be, you know, the team to rise up in the ACC. And I, I think people get too nervous about you know, investing in a Miami or a Texas and all these these programs that we are never sure if they're fully back. Um, so those would be the ones. And I think, again, it, it's so hard to predict someone's going to come out of truly nowhere just because, um, you know, we, we know blue chip prospects lead yep. to the teams that make this stuff. Um, but, I, you know, I really do hope that, it, that a Cincinnati, if they go undefeated because of the schedule they've got this year with Indiana and Notre Dame, like I, I would really love to see them actually get a legit chance at the playoff conversation. Do I think that's going to happen? No. But do I love watching Cincinnati play? Yes. Um, Iowa State looks real like they're going to be really good. Coaches love talking about that program and how that program's built. I love the way they use tight ends. I mean, Brock Purdy, maybe the most underrated quarterback in the country. So, like, there, there, there's going to be a lot of interesting teams um, as, as this whole thing gets going. Like, I, I think that's what's most interesting. Even when you talk about penciling in those same four teams for a lot of people – 
you know, like Iowa State will be the best Iowa State team that Matt Campbell's had. So that is going to make it. If, if Oklahoma gets through them, you know, then they, they really earn it. And, again, if, if, if Carolina or, let's say, Miami or some of these other programs take a step in the ACC, you know, then it's not just Clemson going through everybody and, ro- and everybody rolling over. So I think that's what's going to be interesting, and especially about getting, you know, a full season, getting non-conference games again, like a Clemson-Georgia um, it's just, it's just going to be, I'm just excited for it all to get rolling and, and to really see, cause you know, we talk ourselves into these dark horses and these media darlings. Um, and then, you know, we, we never know. I mean, who would have predicted coastal Carolina last year? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's always someone, you know, that we, we don't predict that come up and, and they use that, I think as a, a rallying cry in the locker room. You mentioned Iowa state. I mean, they've had the, they've had Lincoln Riley's number a little bit, um, had found a way to chip off Oklahoma a few times. So they're definitely a scary, scary team. I'm sure both teams have that game circled uh, as one they're looking forward to. Are there any non-conference games you're, you're hyped for this year? Are there any big non-conference matchups maybe early in September that you can't wait to see play out? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Clemson, Georgia is the, the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see those teams open every season against each other um i think that's always gonna be fun and then and then again like cincinnati's non-conference i'm super fascinated by i mean indiana is a team i mean we all i think we all fell in love with indiana last year and tom allen leo and all this stuff i mean they're coming in with with massive expectations as well and and cincinnati a big opportunity for them also catching notre dame without ian book kind of transitioning out of that era um, and a lot of offensive starters aren't back. Like it, it's a big opportunity for Cincinnati. Um, so, you know, I think I would say they're non-conference and then obviously the Clemson Georgia game, which, um, you know, I think everyone and their mother is excited about. Hell yeah. Uh, the, just to circle back, November 20th is the Iowa state Oklahoma game. And that is in Oklahoma this year. So yeah, that, well, that one, and, and that's going to be massive. And, uh, you know, I mean, those two teams could should probably very well play twice. Yep. So, uh, You'd assume, you know, yeah. we'll get them we'll get them twice in two weeks. You will assume that. Uh, let's talk about players a little bit. You mentioned Spencer Rattler, and man, I love watching him throw deep balls to Mims. I mean, those two guys. I think they could have a Baker to Westbrook like connection this year. If you remember that, for a few a few years ago, man, Oklahoma had a fifty plus yard play to Westbrook from Baker every week if they wanted it. And it feels like Mims and um, and Spencer might be close to clicking at that rate. Who are some other guys, Heisman-wise, you're interested to watch on the field this year, uh, putting Spencer, who we've already mentioned, aside for a second? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you got to start, you know, with the quarterbacks when you're talking about, you know, the Heisman. Yep. Um, you know, Sam Howell is going to be in that mix, too, but... But I, I do think it's a year where you could see some running backs. I mean, I think you could see Bryce Hall. You could probably – Bryce Hall. You could probably see maybe B. John Robinson. I mean, it depends what Steve Sarkeesian's offense looks like in year one. Um, I love when receivers get in the mix. Obviously, you know, we, we saw that last year. But, like, Chris Olave at Ohio State is basically a walking highlight reel. That would be fascinating if he was able to get in the mix. So, um you know, I, I think, it, you know, ultimately we're going to be talking about quarterbacks, um, as, as we so often do. I mean, if USC is USC and if they play well, are we talking about Keaton Slovis? Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I do think 
we naturally will will congregate in those in those areas. But you know, some of these running backs, especially the ones in the Big Twelve that I mentioned, um, I think are going to have some monster years. I mean, also like, what if Boston College is better than we think? Like, what if they're you know, a, maybe they win nine, ten games? Are we going to be talking about Phil Dracovich? I mean, like, it, it, this could go in a lot of different directions. I think because you don't have Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, who obviously neither of them won the Heisman last year, but like, it just felt like it was such an overwhelming, um, overwhelming preseason favorites where this one definitely feels really open and people are just kind of putting Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell in those placeholder spots just because we know they're both in offenses where they're going to throw the ball around a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned Oregon. I mean, just to throw a defensive name out there for the fun of it, but how about, uh, Thibodeau as a potential, you know, defensive yeah. player there. That'd be fun. I mean, I know it's virtually I would, I would impossible. Love to see it. But <laughs> I know it's virtually impossible. But I mean, you're talking about a guy. At least in this case, he was the number one recruit, right, coming out of high school um, in 2019, I think it was. So yeah, that'd be fun if he at least gets his name in the mix. Maybe a trip to New York. Uh, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's so hard for anyone but a quarterback. It seems like, although we had a wide receiver last year, right? So. Mm-hmm. How about that? The sportscasters are here with Nicole Auerbach, who you can find on The Athletic, of course, senior writer for college football there, Sirius XM, Big Ten Network, some of the other credits, uh, National Sports Writer of the Year 2020. You can follow her on Twitter at Nicole, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H there. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to plug uh, while we're doing this in terms of what you're working on, stories you're following? Uh, what's new at the Athletic? I know when um, Stuart was on, it was still a fifty percent off deal, but I think the deal shifted now, right, to something else for new subscribers. Yeah, yeah, I think I think um, we'll probably have something else going um, as the season gets closer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you know we'll obviously be tracking on potential conference realignment. Um, we've got you know all these really cool enterprise features in the lead up to the season. We've been writing these personal essays about things that we. Are we missed about, you know, not having full stadiums and full fans. And um, one of the things I wrote about, which you can find on The Athletic, was about, you know, our viral fans and the memes that we get during games. Mm. You know, one of my favorite things is to track down those people and and tell the stories of them and, and sort of what brought them to that moment at that game and that reaction to something. Um, so hopefully we'll get some of that back as well. Um, and you know, just, you can keep an eye out for way later into the fall. Um, I've got a Alabama related project, uh, that will hopefully be pretty fun, but that one's a few months away. You're going to be doing some podcasting this year as well on the Andy state, the Andy Staples and friends podcast feed on Tuesdays, power hour with Nicole and Michael Felder. Uh, I should mention that too on yep. Tuesdays. Uh, so that should be really great. Uh, if you're a podcast person like I am, I love listening uh, to different opinions during the season, different things that come up. All right, I'm going to have to at least try to hold your feet to the fire as best I can a little bit, even though you've been a little noncommittal on me. Give me a national championship game, a winner, and a Heisman winner. Just for fun. This Ooh, is just for fun. Okay. We won't hold you to it. No old, okay. take, no old takes right. exposed here, I promise. All right. Um, okay. I mean, I reserve the right to change this whenever I have to write it. For the athletic as well. So off. This is the I'm August twelfth. The August twelfth prediction. This is the August twelfth prediction. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's say it is Clemson and Georgia a rematch. Okay. And Georgia wins the national championship. Give oh. us a little fresh blood. They would like that. Um, yeah. my Heisman winner 
Ooh, tough. Um, and I don't want to go with the obvious. I don't want to go with the obvious. Um, let's go Brees Hall. Okay. Let's go Brees Hall, Iowa State. I think they're going to have a big year. Let's get a running back lifting the trophy. You think they win the Oklahoma game again, the first one? I think they win one of them. One of they the win two. one of them, okay. at least one. All right, let, yeah. me, let me get you out of here on this because you are a Michigan student. Do you have any cool – Michigan about your time at Michigan any cool stories about being at a Michigan football game something you love the most about Michigan football or maybe bless my heart it might be a hockey story a Michigan hockey story anything maybe cool that we wouldn't know about if I didn't pry it out of you about your time at Michigan something cool that happened in one of the athletic facilities there yeah well I did cover hockey um and I love college hockey that was incredibly fun um I unbelievable rank not a secret but yeah it's not a secret but my first game first Michigan football game as a student was App State so it was very memorable start Mm. to my time as a student there um but I'll give you a quick little hockey story so when I covered the hockey team my sophomore year um there was an opportunity this is when they were in the CCHA and there was an opportunity if you know we wanted to pay part of our way to go to the Alaska Fairbanks game. So I went to Alaska in November. It was like when it gets dark at like 2 p.m. We did, we got dog sledding. We got, we went to see the pipeline. We, you know, toured around, like learned that people plug their cars in to keep them working because you're so far, you're so like up in the um, Arctic Circle and uh, watched a game there. And so that was pretty cool. That was one of the uh, coolest experiences I had at the student paper because a, never thought I would ever get to Alaska, but yeah. B, I also got to watch a college hockey game in Alaska. In 2013, uh, my brother was a Yale hockey player. He was at Yale. And in 2013, the last ever CCHA game, the last ever championship game was Michigan and Notre Dame on a Sunday. It was the last game of the college hockey regular season. Well, I guess that's kind of the postseason. The last game before the tournament. And if Michigan won the last ever CCHA championship, my brother and Yale would not make the tournament. And if Notre Dame hmm. Notre Dame won, they would get the last at large bid. And I had a nurse I had just had surgery and I had a nurse that was coming and the nurse came to switch my bandage or whatever with about nine minutes left in the game. We were in there for a while and I remember being in my bedroom and not wa- like being like, Oh like, okay, I gotta open the door and open it just a little bit to see you know, to see it. I opened just a little bit and the first thing I saw was the Notre Dame goalie um skating with the with the ccha championship trophy and i let out a you know one of those okay they made it and then they won the national championship so they cashed cashed in their their chip there alex guptel was the star of the michigan team who played with there my, you go yeah played with my brother and juniors um and was a scary scary college hockey player all right nicole i really appreciate the time loved having you um i want to give out the uh twitter again it's just your name uh so it's easy mm-hmm. nicole a U E R B A C H. And of course the words are at the athletic, uh, which this is always a great time to join because they're always, um, always giving great deals at this time of the year. Sort of like the Sunday ticket, right? Like when football is about to start direct TV, they start giving that, that away cheap. Um, and the athletic yep. does the same thing. So it's a good time to jump in. Nicole, thank you so much uh, for, for this. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me.
right, I want to thank Nicole Auerbach and Jeff Passon for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this episode of the podcast and all episodes going back 10 years on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. And you can always email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. I respond to all emails, so feel free to do that. Uh, Also, you can follow the podcast on Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever pod catchers are catching pods. If there is somewhere that you're trying to access this show but can't, email me, and I'll make sure to take care of that for you. But I think most of those loose ends are tied up at this point. And if not, oof, what a bad job by me. Uh, don't forget about the 24-inch podcast, which is all over social media, at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, the number two, the number four inch podcast on Twitter. Number two, number four inch podcast at gmail.com. And on Facebook, search 24-inch podcast, and you can join our group there. And be a part of the uh, 24-inch podcast community, which is growing. It's a great place to be. Uh, we just had SummerSlam 88 coming up next for the 24-inch podcast. Is SummerSlam 1991. Don't forget episodes of this podcast in the future will feature interviews with Ross Tucker, Vic Carucci, Nick Underhill, Andrew Marchand, and more. Greetings from Allentown Podcast on Twitter at GF Allentown Pod bi-weekly. Now, Peter Winston taking a little bit of a step back, uh, but he's always there to school us. And weekly, he does Greetings from Allentown Live with Keithy. And I believe they did a 1991 Superstars most recently. Greetings from Allentown and Greetings from Allentown Live at GF Allentown Pod for more information there. Okay. With all that said, it's one more thing from me today. One last thing, one more thing, one last thing. And I'm always mentioning on here in interviews, I remember when Don and I were still doing the show together, there was kind of these jokes of like the things that I mentioned on every show, you know, whether it was, you know, Anthony being on Yale or the Saints winning Super Bowl 44 or whatever it was. This is like these things that somehow always came up and Don would rib me a little bit about it. And I've been noticing just in my head recently. Uh, that for the last bunch of episodes and interviews, it seems like I'm always mentioning to whoever I'm talking to that I listen to Howard Stern every day, but that I don't listen to the new episodes. And I thought maybe I'd take a minute in one last thing to kind of explain what that means a little bit more. I think people maybe are like, what is he talking about? So I've been a fan of the Howard Stern show since 1993 or so when the E! show started was my first exposure watching the E show and you know if I'm being honest it was it was it was masturbation material back then essentially it's not like now with YouTube you know or not at YouTube but um you know Pornhub and all these other places kids go now they're spoiled we used to have to like watch Skinamax movies through the squiggles on cable to see a uh, to see a breast back in uh, 1993 for the young boys growing up back then using all the tissues and crusting their socks. But uh, I started listening in 93 
And then right around 95, I think it started appearing on 107.1 in Toronto. And I started listening on my clock radio, and it woke me up every day in the morning. I listened for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so until I had to get ready for school. Uh, And then over the years, I listened more and more. And by around 2001, I was an everyday listener to some level. Then 2006, when he made the move to Sirius, I, I got Sirius and was an everyday listener at that point because you could listen at any time of the day. You know, unlike back in the K-Rock days, you had to listen when it was on the radio. There was no replays or anything like that. Uh, but once Sirius came, you could listen all the way through. And I listened on Sirius basically through 2011 was every day, then starting to do less, uh, then through kind of the birthday show in 2000, January 2014 was kind of like when I totally stopped listening to the show live. And I did that because it just wasn't the show that I enjoyed anymore. You know, it was mostly focused on A-list celebrity interviews that I think are a little bit overrated. Uh, Certainly with a lot more people that I'm not interested in. And the, the comedy wasn't funny and the show didn't have any balls and it became very liberal and left wing propaganda, especially from Howard. Um, right around the time that Hillary started running, especially because he was such a huge Hillary Clinton supporter. So it just became a show that wasn't for me. And instead of being one of the people online that listened every day and complained about how much they hated it, I pivoted. And I started listening every day to the hours and hours of material out there from the glory days of the show, 19... 84 or so when he signed on to K-Rock, even a little bit of the NBC stuff before that, you know, right on through to Artie leaving or so in 2009. And I did this a few different ways. Now, initially, I was very dependent on YouTube, which was difficult because stuff comes and goes. Howard is relentless at trying to get his stuff removed because he doesn't want anyone to know the things he used to say. And the things he used to do. So he's as relentless as possible. And YouTube being very public, things would go up, things would come down. It just was very unreliable. I eventually started following an Instagram account called City of Stern, which is still there and great. And it was cool because it's great videos, but difficult because you have to be like on Instagram to be watching the videos. And I really like to listen to Howard Stern in a radio sense where it's on my phone when I'm laying in bed, taking a nap, going to bed, whatever, waking up in the morning. So I got a break, though. The guy who runs City of Stern recommended a Discord group. I'd never heard of Discord, uh, but I learned quick. And I got in this group, and it's a place where they share Stern shows and Stern clips. And I started to build a library of full shows. From the 90s straight through 2010. Some years I have every show, especially in the serious era, I have every show from beginning to end with wrap-up. And I have them on my phone, on a Google Drive. I have some of them in my iTunes, Apple Music. And then I started to learn about the editors and their people out there who edit the show and repackage them into these sort of greatest hits. And the number one Master of this is a guy named Laird Hen. 
L-A-I-R-D-H-E-N-N, Laird Hen. And he has something called Stern Files. And it's 66 volumes right now. That Volume 66 just came out. And each volume is about 20 to 30 hours of clips. And they range from my era, basically. They range from 84 to 2010-ish. A couple times you get a random 2011, 2012 clip, maybe an Eric the Midget type thing from that era. You know, sometimes you get something really early from NBC. But a majority of it is the 90s through 2009. That's the majority of the content. And I have all 66 volumes as part of my Apple Music. And I listen to them regularly. There's also clip packs. You know, uh, every single Siskel and Ebert appearance in one clip pack. Uh, All the different serious specials that the tapes team made, like the history of Howard Stern. There's just an infinite amount of content. People on the internet have taken thousands of hours of the Howard Stern show that's great and repurposed it into millions of hours of content, which makes it very easily easy for me to listen to Howard every day and almost never repeat. Now, sometimes I do repeat bits. Sometimes I know I've heard something recently. Sometimes, though, something's so great, I listen to it again. And if not, I have so much stuff in there that I just cycle through it, and it's super fun. And if there's anyone out there who's a listener to this show and they want help getting a foot in the door, so to speak, in the underground stern world, email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I will help you if I trust you. I will help you find your way in the world of the Howard Stern show on the internet. All right, that's it for today. I've been enjoying the volume of episodes lately. I just keep doing interviews and just keep pumping them out. And I've got interviews recorded already for the next show. Uh, And I hope you're enjoying listening as much as I'm enjoying recording them. Again, please email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, or find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Don't forget about the 24-inch podcast with Hollywood Dave Rollins. Football's back! <laughs>